He is my life. In Him I live and move and have my being. Any good work I do to God alone and always belongs the glory. It is Jesus who is my life. Is He your life? Do you so love Him that you know He died on that cross to forgive you of your sins? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. John 3.16 is powerful, but what comes after it is equally important for us to hear. That God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world? No, not at all. But in fact, it says that whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Here's David with the second part of his message called, For God So Loved the World. On those days when I I wonder of my value in the sight of the Father, on those days when I'm struggling with who I am and my creation in Christ, I look at this cross and I say these words, for God so loved David, not the world. I put my name in there. I say it all the time, for God so loved David that he gave his only son of his own nature. For God so loved David Chadwick that he died on a cross to forgive me of my sins. And folks, on those days when I have to do that, suddenly my self-worth changes into Christ-worth. And I realized I'm deeply and dearly loved because if I'd been the only person on the face of this planet, Jesus would have still come. He would have died for me because God loves me so much. You know what? He loves you that much as well. If you're feeling down, low, discouraged, condemned today, please don't, for God loves you this much that he died on the cross. Get a cross, put it next to a special place where you sit at home or in your workplace, and if you're ever struggling with your identity, just look at that cross and repeat, for God so loved, then put your name in that blank, that he gave his only son, his monogenesis son, this unique Jesus he gave so that my sins can be forgiven. Let's keep going. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, 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 and again, Nicodemus's eyebrows must have raised, whoever, not just Jews, not just people who succeed, whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, believes in that name, Jesus. And this belief, folks, is not mere intellectual assent. Oftentimes, the journey for your eternal life and entrance into the kingdom of God is 18 inches. It's from your head to your heart. Real faith, real belief not only believes in the facts of Jesus, but believes in the reality of what's happened in our heart. We fall in love with the Father of the universe who's revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that we are dearly and uniquely loved by him. We believe in him. He is our life. Jesus just isn't an add-on. He is our life. God gave us his best in his son. We don't give God the leftovers. That's why tithing, for example, the the 10% that I give to the work of the Lord off the top represents for me first fruits, represents for me my best. It represents for me my giving of my best before I spend anything else on anything else. I want to make sure God gets my best. Why? Because God gave me his best. He didn't give me the leftovers. He gave me his first fruits, his tithe, his son. And I know by that gift on the cross how much he loves me. And whoever really believes in Jesus, trusts in him, loves him with all of their hearts, should not perish. Now, now let's pause there. Because this is a part of the gospel as well. Should not perish. That's talking about not perishing 
at the judgment seat of God, not spending eternity in hell. Not a popular subject. A lot of preachers are avoiding it today. They don't want to offend people. But the person who taught most about the reality of hell is Jesus himself. He said here that if you believe in him, you'll not perish. The implication there is if you don't believe in him, you will perish. And folks, if you believe in the reality of hell, if you believe people die and are separated from God forever in hell, doesn't that empower your passions for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the major message of the church. When the church gets off message on any other social issue or social concern, the church ultimately shrivels and dies. The message of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Largely because we believe in the reality of hell. Jesus came to rescue us from hell. He came on a rescue mission to save us from our sins. That's what salvation means. So we, too, participate in the mission of Jesus, questing after people who don't know him, don't love him, because we know their eternal reality of hell awaits them unless they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, you need to know very clearly that it's their decision. People ask me all the time, how could a really good, loving God send people to hell? A good, loving God doesn't send anybody to hell. A good, loving God came and spread his arms wide and said, this is how much I love you. Whoever believes, will you believe? But it's your choice. Love can only exist if God gives you the privilege of choice. Marilyn and I can only love each other on this Valentine's Day deeply and dearly because we daily choose to love one another. I recognize daily Marilyn might choose not to love me. Love can only exist with choice. God so loved us, he gave every human being the choice of whether to love him in return or not. And many people have chosen not to love him, not to believe in his name, not to trust in him for their eternal salvation. And God says in Burger King language, have it your way. But hell is a reality, and the church's major responsibility is to proclaim the gospel with gospel implications, caring for the needy, giving water to the thirsty, making all people of all skin colors equal in every possible way, fighting for justice. Those are important, but they're gospel implications. They're not the gospel. And what drives the gospel, for those of us who believe, is the reality of hell. It's why I keep on preaching and will continue to preach until I have no more breath in these lungs because if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't, you will perish. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's John 3, 16. And for those of us who believe, we have eternal life. Let me speak to something else that's oftentimes asking me. People say, how do I know the assurance of my salvation? Because you believe. Because this gift of God is a gift he gives you and he doesn't take it back. This eternal salvation in 1 John 5, 11 and 12 clearly states that those who believe in the Son have eternal life. Those who don't believe in the Son don't have eternal life. If you have received Jesus and you love him and you trust him, you have the gift of eternal life. People ask me, well, what about those who have said they believed and they have rejected him? One of two things. Either they didn't ever really believe and they rejected him, or secondly, they believe and they've had a wandering time, but they'll come back. They'll come back. So you moms out there, dads too, but keep on praying for your children who have wandered, especially those you thought may have received Jesus, and keep bringing them back through the power of your prayers because this gospel of grace is more powerful than any other thing in the world. 
So that's John 3, 16. Memorize it. Know it. It's so powerful. But also know the context then on the other side. The front side's Nicodemus, this whole idea of the serpent being lifted up. Jesus saying that's like the cross, lifting up and looking at it, then believing, and you're healed of all your sins. Now, the other side of the context starts with verse 17. Let's examine that carefully. For God, again, connecting it with verse 16, for this one God in three persons did not send, there's that whole die of sin, The Father sent the Son into the world. The Son said willingly, yes, I'll go. It was a decision on his part that he would go, and the Father then sent him into the world. It has implications for, by the way, John 20, verse 21, where Jesus said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you into the world. We'll come back to that in just a moment. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's so important to understand, folks. There are two advents of Jesus. There are two comings of Jesus. There's his first coming and his second coming. His first coming was coming into that stable in a manger in Bethlehem. He came as a vulnerable baby in order to love the world and forgive the world of their sins. He did not come in the first coming to condemn the world. So if you feel condemnation, it's not from Jesus. Uh, Let me take you to Romans chapter 8, in verse 1, after Paul outlines this whole gospel of grace, the good news of God's forgiving love through Jesus, given to us not of our works, but by grace through faith, there are these words, verse 1, therefore, I love that, it's connecting what's been taught beforehand about the gospel of grace, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The last time I looked up the word no, it means no. If you feel condemnation, it's not from Jesus. It's from the enemy. He is the condemner. He is the the accuser of the brethren. He hates you. He wants to remind you of your sins and keep you trapped in that loveless life you once knew. But if you're feeling condemnation, it's not from the Lord. In fact, Paul goes on to say, what shall we say to these things after he unwraps the gospel of grace again? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because of the cross, dear friends, God is for you. He is on your side. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is verse 31 and 32. Gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, here's Paul's argument. How could this Jesus, who justified you, forgave you of your sins, made you the righteousness of Christ, why would this God, who was raised from the dead after the cross, how would this God, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, How would this God who is indeed interceding for us right now with the same voice be condemning us? It makes no logical sense. That's what Paul's saying, that if God loves us and died for us and was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and is now interceding for us every day, how can those lips loving us so deeply in prayer be the same lips constantly condemning us? It doesn't make logical sense. So, Jesus did not come this first time to condemn the world, but in order, this is why he came, that the world might be saved. He wants to rescue you from your sins so you'll not perish and go to hell. Through him, through Jesus, you're saved. That's what 
Jesus is saying here so clearly. Then verse 18, whoever believes in him, who believes in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son. So here's the point. If you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. If you hear a voice of condemnation, it's not from him. But if you don't believe in Jesus, you are condemned. You're under the bondage of sin, and you are condemned to hell at this point unless you receive Jesus. Now, you need to know that Jesus came in the first advent, in the first coming as a baby in that manger, but he's going to come again. He's going to come in a second advent. Wow, praise God. And when he comes back, he's not coming as he did in the first time as a lamb, as a baby. He's going to come in his second coming as a lion with a roar to condemn, to judge the world, and restore this world to its original intent. So there are two comings of Jesus. The first one's happened. He did not come to condemn. He came to love. The second one, though, when he comes back, he's coming as the judge of the universe to condemn. I pray you'll be in his family before that second coming occurs or before your death occurs, and you have to meet the judge of the universe. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John 8, 12, Jesus is the light of the world. The the, uh, the light came into the world, but the world didn't receive him. The, The world hated the light. Let me tell you one thing a thief hates is while the thief is trying to steal something, the thief hates seeing a policeman. Similarly, those living in darkness hate seeing the light. My my brother Howard tells this story all the time about his own pilgrimage to Jesus. He's now a pastor, praise God. But before that happened, he lived a pretty challenging, godless life. And I asked him one time, I said, Howard, why'd you keep living in that darkness? And here was his answer. Because it was fun. And I hated anybody who talked to me about Jesus. Then he said to me, David, you do know that spelling sin backwards is N-I-S. Nice. He was making the point that people who love darkness love living in the darkness. And when the light comes to them, they flee. Just like when you shine light upon a group of roaches in a room, those roaches flee and run to the darkest corner. The darkness hates the light. As the darkness, people living in their evil deeds hated Jesus, the light of the world. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. The proof of living in darkness is you do bad deeds. The proof of living in the light is you do godly things. So for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. You need to know, though, Jesus sees everything you're doing. If you're living in darkness right now and you're trying to hide it from God, you're kidding yourselves. He sees everything, but there will come a day at that great judgment seat, either with your death or with the second coming of Jesus, when all of your dark deeds are exposed. And those deeds show the condition of your dark heart. In order for those deeds to become light, you need to change your dark heart into a heart filled with the light of Jesus. That's what he's trying to say here. And verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So if you're living in the light, the proof of that will be you do deeds that honor God. You you know, people ask me all the time, well, wait a minute, 
Atheists do good things. There, there are some atheists who, frankly, are more moral than Christians, and that's true uh, for a lot of different reasons. It could be partly genetic makeup. It could be familial stability, a lot of reasons. But here's the point. If you are an atheist and you do even good deeds, who gets the glory for your good deeds? Who does? The truth is, you get the glory, which proves your pride and proves your selfishness. But even the person who's still growing in their faith, who hasn't quite got it all together, who still has some darkness, but they're letting the light slowly but surely capture their hearts, when they do a good deed, when they do a deed of light, they always want God alone to get the glory. And folks, that's my heart. I pray it's yours. I am nothing without Jesus. He is my life. In him, I live and move and have my being. Any good work I do, anything that brings light to other people, I want to say right now, as I hope I've done for over 40 years of ministry, to God alone and always belongs the glory. It is Jesus who is my life. Is he your life? Do you so love him that you know he died on that cross to forgive you of your sins? Do you feel condemnation? You should never as a believer in Jesus. And now live in the love of the Lord. Look at that cross. For God so loved me. Say your name and know that he sent his son to die on that cross for you alone. And then do good works for him. But when you do good works, make sure you always point to Jesus. I'm able to do this only because of the grace of God that he has given me and put into my heart. To Jesus alone and always belongs all the glory forever and ever. Amen. And if there's anybody out there who's never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you please do so now? Please don't put yourself in harm's way. Please don't place yourself in a perishable state. Please receive Jesus, and you have the gift of eternal life. Just love him, trust him. In the pandemic, in the COVID crisis, trust him. He'll take care of you. He'll supply your every need. And should we pass away, we go to heaven to be in his presence. What could be better than that? In a place where there are no tears, no trials, no turmoil, no tribulation, please receive Jesus. You can just do so by bowing your head and praying, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. Please forgive me of my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. If you've prayed that prayer, dear friends, it's the first step and the Holy Spirit has entered your heart. Now repent of your sins, walk away from your darkness, and start to live for Jesus. That's what he desires. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a discussion about how we should be choosing our battles wisely. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. In our community, there are countless people at the intersection of homelessness and addiction. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission, and for over 80 years, the Rescue Mission has been helping people who struggle with addiction in our community. You know, there are many great programs that offer people struggling with addiction a path to sobriety and recovery. But what comes after someone gets clean? Often those battling addiction have an inconsistent work history or criminal charges. Most have stunted emotional growth. And after they've achieved sobriety, how do they maintain long-term employment? This is where Community Matters Cafe makes a huge impact in their lives. Community Matters Cafe is more than just good food and wonderful house roasted coffee. It's an extension program of Charlotte Rescue Mission that is transforming lives. 
And after men and women graduate from Charlotte Rescue Mission's 120-day Rebound Men's and Dove's Nest Women's Residential Programs, they have the option to enroll in the Life Skills Program at Community Matters Cafe. During the six-month program, the students learn a variety of critical life skills in a restaurant setting that help them get and keep long-term employment. Community Matters Cafe is located diagonally opposite the Panther Practice Fields at the corner of Cedar and West First Street. Charlotte Rescue Mission is so grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in this vital work of transforming lives. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure being with you, Jen. Well, in one of your morning e-devotions, you wrote that we should all be choosing our battles wisely. Oh, this one came from my dad Hmm. some 40 plus years ago when I knew that God unmistakably had called me into gospel ministry. I went to him as a pastor and asked him for some practical advice as I became a pastor in the church. He gave me several, but this was one of them. Hmm. Choose your battles wisely. He was teaching me something, Jen, I think that's not just practical for ministers doing the gospel, but also any person everywhere, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. So let's look at this more closely. You only have so much energy to address problems in life. If you make everything a battle, you'll wear yourself out. You'll spend so much time fighting small, insignificant battles that when the important major battles come, you won't have any necessary vitality, endurance, and energy to fight them at all and win. (laughs) So how are we to decide which battles are worth fighting? Well, first, begin with the end in mind. What is your specific specific goal. What are the steps you must take to win? Use these questions as a filter to decide if the battle is worth the fight now or perhaps should be fought later on. Then think about long-term implications of the potential battle facing you. What is your end game? What is the most important thing you're trying to accomplish in order to get your dream to be fulfilled? Often, smaller battles will take care of themselves with patience. Mm. Strength arises as we wait upon the Lord, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But always be patient and choose your battles wisely. Your strength is not limitless. Only God's strength is. Hmm. So when you hear this, Jen, Mm -hmm. what particular area of your life comes to mind? Well, as a parent, you know, there are things daily that I would like to tweak in each of my children and help them along in their path of maturity. But I can definitely wear myself out Mm -hmm. if I choose everything, Mm -hmm. every little wrong that they do. It does wear me thin. Right. And if you see something that you think needs to be corrected, have you ever discovered that if you just wait a little while, the child, by even sometimes supernatural benefit, corrects themselves? Yes, but that requires me dying to my perfectionistic <laughs> tendencies in the moment, and it's work for me, yeah. but yeah, it's it's true. And of course, the danger with that in parenting is you create in your child a performance-based mindset, right. and so they think the only way mom or dad will love me is if I perform well, then they translate that to the Father in heaven, and they have a works-based theology, which you and I both know will wear you out over the long term until you understand this beautiful term that God has given us all called mm-hmm. grace. Yes, yes, it's so powerful. And the other thing I like that you say is decide. Use the filter to decide if the battle is worth the fight now. And I'm just even thinking practically, 
is the child hungry? Do we need to be somewhere in 10 minutes? You know, just practical things right. can help us address if we should do this now or wait. And I also believe the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of those who believe. And if you'll trust him, he just might whisper to you, no, yeah, don't fight this battle. Not worth it. Or yes, this is important. Mm-hmm. Go after this one. And when you do that, you're set free. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jen, and everyone. If you'd like a daily moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. In written form, they'll arrive in your inbox at 7 a.m., free of charge. You can subscribe there. It's my gift to you to help you have daily a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking that you pray for the pastors in our city.